So I got to ask, start with a couple of questions. There's a word in here in this main text we're going to be looking at at uh, 2 Corinthians. There's a word here, boldness. What does boldness mean? How do you define boldness? Fearless. Fearless. We primed the pump with that one. Confidence. Confidence. Courage. Courage. All right. What makes someone bold? Those, would you, would you answer a little differently? What makes someone bold? Or maybe, let me ask you this. Um, who is a bold person in a good way? There, I, there's people that are bold. Um, you know what, okay. I can tell by the laughter we know a little bit what we're talking about. Bold in a good way. Somebody that takes risks. Confidence. Someone that speaks truth. Going against the norm. All right, going against the norm. Knowledge. Knowledge. Okay. Takes risks. Okay. So we're starting to get an idea a little bit about what this, maybe what boldness looks like. Well, the last couple of weeks, we've actually been in 1 Corinthians, and so it's kind of strange for us to skip to the middle of 2 Corinthians. But like I said uh, during the, the um, in between the songs, this is the Sunday that the church reflects on the transfiguration of Christ. Um, we, we think about this story, um, it's in a couple of different places, but Luke 9 is one in particular, uh, where Jesus takes Peter, John, and James up a mountain uh, to pray with him. And while they are there, uh, somehow Jesus' face changes, and suddenly he's talking with Moses, who's the lawgiver, and he's talking with Elijah, who's uh, the great prophet. And the disciples that are with him see this, experience this. They, you know, without Moses and Elijah having to identify themselves, they they know that that's who they are. Uh, Peter wants to construct some kind of dwelling place to kind of commemorate this time, to stay in the moment. Um, but before they can do that, a cloud or the, the presence of God surrounds them, and they hear, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. It's God's seals of a, seal of approval or endorsement of, of Jesus, and he's doing this, uh, you know, I think, for their benefit so that these disciples see this, experience this, hear this. And so this morning we're, we're really looking at a progression in the narrative of Scripture of how God's people are learning to interact with the Holy Divine. And so as we think about that, as we begin to process that, would you pray with me?
Jesus, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. In this time, would you continue to transform and change us, mold us, shape us into the people you long for us to be? It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Well, part one of our movement here kind of goes back to the story of Exodus and the transfiguration of Moses. Um, What's happened at this point in the story uh, that was read out of Exodus this morning is that the people have been brought out of Egypt. They have crossed through the Red Sea. They have entered into the Sinai Peninsula. And God stops the people so that He can establish this covenant with them and receive, they can receive God's law or His way of living. And so they, they kind of stop, they camp out. And Moses goes up and Moses receives the Ten Commandments. Wonderful experience. Mountaintop experience. And Moses comes down and finds that the people are already in the midst of breaking several of those Ten Commandments quite a few of the laws that God has just given to Moses. The people are already down at the foot of the mountain, creating a golden calf idol, uh, worshiping, you know, all kinds of other stuff that's a part of that. And in Moses' anger, he smashes the tablets. He's furious with what he experiences and sees when he comes down the mountain. And now Moses has gone back up the mountain, received a new tablet. Uh, Maybe Moses had purchased the warranty or there was a 30-day return policy on the first tablet. Um, Moses interacts with God again. And God talks about his mercy and patience while also stipulating that he also corrects wrongdoing. There's, There's this... I don't know if balance is the right word, um, but there's these kind of two aspects of what God's trying to convey here. Look, I'm merciful and I'm patient, but also I'm going to make things right. I'm going to set them to rights. God says that the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity on the parents, upon the children, and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So God's revealing something of Himself to Moses. Moses kind of intercedes, pleads on behalf of uh, what Exodus calls them a couple times stiff-necked people, people that are just continuing to do things their own way. They're following in the pattern of their forefather Adam, just doing things his own way. Moses worships Yahweh on the mountain, and his complexion is changed because of the interaction. I think that's an aspect of worship Uh, and experiencing God is that in that time, it's expected that we are changing, we are being shaped and molded by that experience, by that time, to come into the presence of Almighty God and to interact with God and have an experience of the divine is to come away changed people. 
the people see Moses returning. And I wonder how that experience goes. The last time Moses came down the mountain with tablets, they were in the midst of some pretty shady stuff, right? They were worshiping an idol and, you know, who knows what else was going along with that. They may be wondering what God and Moses were talking about up on the mountain. What kind of further punishment is going to be handed out? And the people see Moses' complexion and they're afraid of what might happen to them. And so Moses ends up covering his face. Remember that Yahweh said he is merciful, patient, and a loving God. But the people are, are really here following a pattern set in the Genesis story. When humans mess up, And they hide from God. God doesn't turn His back on the people. God doesn't turn His back on Adam and Eve. Instead, they're turning their backs on Him, they're running, and they're hiding. God comes walking through the garden Uh, This is in the Genesis story. God comes walking through the garden at the spirit time of the day looking for Adam and Eve who are hiding because they know they've messed up and they're afraid of what God might do. And now the Israelites have messed up and they're afraid of what kind of further punishment God will enact on the people. They're kind of mirroring an interaction with Canaanite or Egyptian gods that they've seen around them This may have given them the impression that the deity must be satisfied or destruction is at hand. It happened in a number of ancient religions where you you did what you had to do to make the God happy, to satisfy the God. Because if that didn't happen, something terrible was going to happen or the crop wasn't going to come up or the flood was going to come or some tragedy was going to happen or, or, you know, the... Nearby king, if he'd prayed correctly, he might come and and conquer your village because you hadn't prayed correctly. And unfortunately, what we see is the Israelite people kind of mirroring that interaction. God is holy and just. God warns Adam that the consequences of defining good and bad for himself apart from God results in broken relationship and ultimately leads to death. And God does put things to rights. A couple different words in our scripture uh, that were used from Psalm 99 this morning, righteousness and and justice, those are uh, both related terms, related words. But the Israelites begin to interact with Yahweh from a perspective of fear. Paul helps to to highlight this uh, in 2 Corinthians. But Moses hides his face with a veil to help alleviate the people's fear of what Yahweh might do. So we see folks interacting with God out of fear. Throughout the Hebrew Bible, throughout the Old Covenant, the people seem to continue to largely operate out of a sense of fear uh, from Yahweh. If we don't do this, terrible things are going to happen to us. And God will just 
enact His vengeance upon us. Now, there's a proper kind of respect uh, for God, a healthy way of, of knowing that God is almighty, is all-powerful, God is, is, is holy and just and, and all of that. I was thinking this week, starting to, to lay these, these scriptures out, and the one kind of story that came to mind was out of uh, C.S. Lewis and The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and one of my favorite uh, quotes from, from this story is one of the, the Pevensey children. How many of you are familiar with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Okay. The rest of you got to go read this story, all right? Beautiful story. These children have entered into this magical land, and um, they are told about Aslan. And, and you know, I, I picture them getting goosebumps just at the name of Aslan, who is the returning rightful uh, prince, the king. And he's a lion. You kind of need to know that too. And one of the children that's entered into this land, they're just hearing about this, this king, this lion. But they want to know, because he's a lion, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver, who's explaining to them what's happening, says, of course he's not safe, but he's good. And I think of that a little bit with, with you know, that's C.S. Lewis's part of his uh, explanation about what God is like. Is he safe? No. He is powerful. He is mighty, but He is good, and He is loving, and He is patient, and He is merciful. Part two of our movement, then, is the transfiguration of Jesus, and I outlined that story a little bit earlier. You can read that out of Luke uh, I'm not going to cover in depth what all is happening here. Uh, God is, is meeting with Jesus up on the mountain along with Moses and Elijah. We see a, a new or renewed or completed law or way of living is, is coming down from the mountain. And slowly but surely God is revealing that God's people don't have to continue to operate under a spirit of fear anymore. John, one of those who witnesses the transfiguration, will later write in 1 John 4, 17 through 19, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. I think John is getting at the same idea that Paul is writing about here in 2 Corinthians. So part three of our movement then. Maybe we'd call the transfiguration, the transformation of God's people. Last week we were looking at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul talking about how we are being changed from one kind of thing to another kind of thing. 
had several conversations this week about uh, the question I asked about difference between soul and spirit, and a couple people were reaching out with different thoughts about that. But here in 2 Corinthians, Paul is kind of expanding on what he means. He says, we are not ministers of the old law, the old ministry, the old way of relating to Yahweh in fear. Said Paul says, since we have such a hope, recalling the gospel that Paul gospeled, we talked about that several weeks ago, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the anticipated resurrection of humanity. Paul is reminding us that this is our hope. And since we have such a hope, we act with such, and here's this word that we tried to define earlier, boldness. Parisia is the Greek, and it's usually translated as boldness. One of the commentary information that I was reading through this week said this, though. In ancient Greece, this word actually had to do with the kind of free and open truth speaking that only takes place among equals. In in the Greek world, that meant in a democracy. It was an open truth speaking relationship. This is what this word means. This is what kind of boldness this is. Where you can come in front of the other and speak your mind. So what's the point? The point isn't that we are equals to God. That's not at all what we're saying. But the point is that... With the hope of the gospel, we can talk openly and be in full relationship with the Lord. Paul does this quick move of taking, uh, talking about the veil uh, from Moses, and then he kind of transfers that uh, to the hearts of the Israelite people. For Paul, who is a, a former, you know, uh, follow all the jots and tittles of the law, a Pharisee of Pharisees, Knowing the law inside and outside, it was about a law and not a relationship. It was about fear and condemnation, fear of punishment, fear of what happens when the deity isn't satisfied. And to this now, Paul says, now the Lord, talking about Jesus, is spirit, is is breathed into and connected by God's spirit, God's life-giving force. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us with unveiled faces, no longer having to hide ourselves from the deity but being able to come openly, bringing all of who we are, all of our flaws and our brokenness and our, and our doubts and our questions, and standing there without a veil, speaking to God.
All of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror. Don't think of your home mirror. This is, this is Paul's kind of mirror, so it's kind of not a great uh, reflection. Rough outlines and, and rough approximation at best. So he's saying we're not seeing the fullness of God's glory. We don't comprehend the whole thing, but we're catching a glimpse, and we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Remember, the issue of the veil wasn't really about Moses. Moses had met with God. Moses had talked with God on the mountain. Moses had been bold enough to intercede for this stiff-necked people. He talked God out of destroying that group of people. And Moses had been changed by the interaction. Elijah was another person at the transfiguration of Jesus. Elijah met with God, not in the earthquake or the fire or the wind, but in the small voice. And Elijah got a personal heavenly uber when the the flaming chariot comes down and picks him up and, and sweeps him off. Jesus, of course, is God, but for the benefit of Peter, John, and James, they see Jesus being transfigured, meeting with God for God's seal of approval. And Paul seems to be saying, we too can be transformed. We can meet with God and drop our veils. Don't have to worry about hiding who we are before God. We don't have to operate from a place of fear in relating to God. We can drop our charades and the things we try to put between us and God. So I want you to stop and think here for just a few moments. There's space either in your bulletin or if you need to pull out a scrap piece of paper, it might help you. What kind of veil do you try to put up to keep from experiencing the full glory of God? What kind of things do you try and put in the way of you and God? It's kind of a hard thing because we always want to say, oh, I'm not, I'm not intentionally putting anything there. But often we're trying to We've got all this stuff that piles up, and it's a reason why we can't come and and pray to God or why we don't feel uh, connected to God, and we just kind of keep piling these up. Is it questions? Is it doubts? A friend recently reminded me that the opposite of faith isn't doubt, it's certainty, Maybe schedules, maybe other priorities that you put between you and God. What kind of veil do you try to put up?
The writer of Hebrews says something very similar to Paul in Hebrews 4.16, where where the writer is talking about uh, we have this high priest in Jesus who understands and who intercedes for us, and the writer says this, let us therefore approach the throne of grace with the same word, boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to uh, to help in time of need. sang two praise songs this morning. Oh, come to the altar and find that the Father's arms are not crossed with disappointment, shaking His head, wondering why you have not pleased Him. The Father's arms are open, wide, waiting, like the father waiting for the prodigal, arms open. Fearless in your presence because of the good news of Jesus. I'm going to invite us to respond with our closing hymn this morning. Love divine, all loves excelling. It's in the blue hymnal number 592. Encourage you to turn to that and stand with me as we close. And think about these words. Think about how they call us. Think about the God that loves and stands and waits and is open, who you do not have to hide from any longer, who you do not have to to keep veiled any longer. The God that invites you to come. Let's sing together.